Hey, good evening, Internet, and welcome back to Kent at Your Own Risk, episode 47, where Kent, Kevin, and Chris are going to be talking over the Phantasm uh, series, specifically Phantasm 1 and Phantasm 2. Um, so, first off, it's been a little bit since the last one we did. Uh, how are you guys doing? I'm pretty good, actually. Uh, Chris, is... is have you always had the picture of a cat on your Skype? No, I put that up uh, when I realized that you guys both had pictures up, and I was the only one without one. Oh, okay. I'm like, how long has this been going on that I'm just realizing it? Like, I was waiting for you to say, like, five years, and that felt really, really good. No, like, maybe a month or two. Okay. I have, I have a picture on Skype? I didn't know that. Well, it's It's got your initials. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're just the KP, okay? Get okay. control. <laughs> KP duty over here. Uh, otherwise, I'm I'm all right. Like, just did this whole thing on the weekend because I don't like to do anything in advance. I like to be as late as humanly possible with everything I do in life, and in that I succeeded. I put you doing good. Yeah, Kevin? I'm doing pretty good. I put mine off for this week because I wanted to keep it fresh, as it was only five, so I could keep it in the week, you know, and they're only, you know, an hour and a half. Um, I think one of them reaches like an hour and 37 minutes. Uh, one of them said that it was an hour and 37 minutes, but ended at a hour and 20 and then had an end credit scene, but we'll get to that later on. But yeah, so I'm good. Oh, I got something for you guys. I got a, a gift in the mail and it is a Funko Pop of Snoop Dogg in the background is his album cover for his very first album, Doggy Style, and it's amazing. It's a great gift. I I don't know. I feel like I have to share this because this goes right along with everything else that we discuss here. Yeah, I mean, when I think of Phantasm, the next thing I think of is Snoop Dogg wow. and, you know, Doggy yes. Style. Yeah. <laughs> now, Not any of his later works, but just that. Let, let's be real here, though. If Snoop Dogg sampled the original soundtrack, I think he could make a great song. Because the music is, like, except for part three where they stopped using the music so much, like, the music throughout the series has been really good. So, I'm just Uh, saying... I would say it was good in maybe two and a half of the movies. And then the other two and a half, not so good. What's the half? Three. Curiosity. Half of four, four, huh? Well, like, like maybe like a quarter of three and a quarter of four, and then. Uh, Okay, I was gonna say part three didn't have shit for music. Part four didn't have great music, but it did have the song at the end that was sung by Reggie, the actual Reggie, and his group is Reggie B and the Jizz Whalin Dogs. So that's a fun. That is. Which one is that? Four. Part four, that song, it's the only one that actually has like a song playing at the end of the credits if you wait long enough. And it's Reggie being the Jizz Whale and Doggies. Oh. My bad. I, uh, I did not watch the credits, so I, I completely missed that. So. Oh, God. You, I, I'm telling you, how, after this, go listen to it. It's actually a I, good song. How could I miss the Jizz yeah, Whale and that, Doggies? You know? Was that time <laughs> when they were playing in the dream sequence in four? The Jizz Whale and Doggies? Um, 
I, see, I was wondering, like, who's in the Jizz Whale and Doggies? I have nothing other than knowing that that's the name of the group and that exists. And I looked it up a long time ago and have been amused. Since it's then. it's perfect for his character in these movies. Yeah. Yes. All right. All right anyways, uh, all right. To to get right into it, Phantasm One, uh, or Phantasm, came out in nineteen seventy nine. Which I didn't realize how old it was. The first time I remember seeing it, I think I was in, maybe in high school when I watched it with my dad. And it felt, I don't know, do you guys think it feels like a 70s movie or maybe a little more of like an 80s movie? It's, it's that perfect time frame at the yeah. late 70s where it blends right in with the 80s. Because, yeah. I mean, you got Denim Dan, you got Leather Jacket, you got Barracuda. It, it, it hits all the 80s stuff just a year ahead. Yeah, it is. It it does. It, it's like for what's to come, especially with the like slasher opening, and it's not a slasher film at all. It turns out, but it has the classic slasher kind of feel of I don't. What was so Halloween was out at this time, and yeah, the yeah. the first Friday the Thirteenth, or was that eighty? That was after no. Yeah, I think that was after. I think the burning was also right around this time. I don't know if that. So there probably wasn't a lot, a great deal of influence on it. It just maybe, maybe Halloween. No, maybe Halloween got there. No, because they shot it themselves with their own money, basically. So yeah, you could say uh, what was it, Blood Bloody Bay or Blood Bay or something like that. That could have been influence and. To a slighter, lesser extent, maybe Black Christmas, because that's kind of like the grandfather of of slashers before Halloween kind of overtook its throne. But, I don't know, I don't really, like, this was more just a, a I don't know, sign of things to come, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, um... Especially the opening, like, just that opening scene, like, you know, two people just having sex in the fucking cemetery. And then, and then the twist, it's an old man. I, I really feel like, yeah... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a twist. Is uh, that a lady in lavender? All right, sorry, Chris, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was going to say, like, this, I would say almost more than anything else, really feels like kind of like a precursor to, like, Sam Raimi. Yeah, I would be really surprised if he wasn't like, oh, yeah, I never saw any Don Coscarelli movies before I made Evil Dead. And I wouldn't like believe that. it. Yeah, um, you'll you'll be shocked to know that this won't be the last time Sam Raimi and or Evil Dead get brought up. Oh well, I mean, there's one literal fucking you know like Easter egg in there. Yes, uh, yes, yes, there is. There, there's a couple things going on, but that's in part two, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe Phantasm. <laughs> um, like. I believe it was you who told me at one point, like, what other movie are you going to watch where there's an old guy who throws his balls at a young kid's face? I mean... <laughs> yeah. Literally I, is true. <laughs> you, 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 don't, you don't get old man balls to the face often enough in horror movies anymore, so, you know, they were ahead of their time. It, you know the brilliant thing about, like, what this whole thing was is that, based on the premise of it, they could get away with... We're having a night shot, we're going to have a quick day shot, we're going right back to nighttime, and the timing doesn't fucking matter, the lighting doesn't matter, nothing matters. 
How many movies can get away true. with saying that? Yeah. Not many. Uh, you know, okay. So this movie was filmed on a budget. Uh, it was filmed basically like Kevin brought up a second ago. You know, they, they did it with their own money. Uh, it was basically just, I don't want to say a group of friends, but it was a group of locals, non-professionals, all shooting in a, a local area to, to make the first one. And some movies, you know, have a low budget, low grainy feel when you're watching it. That it doesn't feel polished. But like I'd say, the biggest success for the original Phantasm, especially, is the surrealistic atmosphere. And like Kent was saying, because it's so surrealistic and dreamlike, you know, it doesn't matter if they're stuff doesn't make sense because that's part of the point of the movie uh, you know, towards to to the very end when you don't understand what's real and what's a dream you know what what actually occurred and what was just occurring in people's minds um, and they succeeded at that greatly I, I fucking love the first one um, it's it's out there uh Basically, like we were saying, the movie starts off with two people having sex in a cemetery. Uh, when you finally see um, who it is, it's like the dude is like the epitome of 70s, you know, porn stash, long hair. Uh, anyways, he gets murdered by the woman who turns into an old man and stabs him. And we cut to his funeral afterwards. Uh where two of his buddies are meeting up. You know, they used to call themselves a trio. Uh, so we got Jody and Reggie. Jody's younger brother, Mike, sneaks up and he's watching the funeral from far away. Jody brings up that his and Mike's parents just died recently, and Mike's still screwed up because of the uh, sense of loss from that. Reggie uh, is a bald guy in the first movie with... Long hair and a ponytail, which I really dig. Jody's got, you know, like the 70s long hair where you can't even see his ears. Uh, Han Solo haircut. And the leather jacket, like uh, Kent was bringing up earlier. How, how apropos is it that he has the haircut and Reggie has the Han Solo outfit to an extent? It, it really is. You know, they... Um, I, I don't know. Uh, like, Reggie... We'll get back to Reggie. <laughs> um... So after the funeral winds up, Mike sees uh, this creepy-looking tall man who is named the Tall Man throughout the entire series, uh, pick up the coffin with one hand, throw it into the back of the hearse, and take off with it. Uh, Long story short, through some investigation, we discover that the Tall Man is murdering people and also just grave-digging and kidnapping bodies, and using the machine to crush them down into little deformed dwarf midget Jawas, and then send them through a portal to another world where they are enslaved for all eternity, apparently. Uh, he bleeds yellow mucus. Uh, when his fingers are severed, they turn into giant fly monsters. Um, apparently he can teleport. And uh, so can Mike, because I've noticed in this that, like, there's a couple times where, like, Jody drives off somewhere in his car, and then, like, 30 seconds later, Mike walks up, 
I'm like, that's that's pretty pretty killer, you know, cats he got kicking there, Mike. Um, it's not a terrifically violent movie, you know, like, uh, which I think sets it apart from the slashers that were coming out around it. I mean, there, there is definitely some violence. There are the spears slash balls that uh, the tall man has that fly around, shoot spikes out, and then drill into people's heads and uh, pump their brains out. Uh, so we get one memorably gruesome kill with that. But uh, outside of that, there's not too much actual violence. Like, the body count is relatively restrained in this one compared to what we've seen in some of the later uh, later ones. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get into spoilers too much because I really think that these are movies that people should see. Uh, but suffice it to say, it has an ending where when you, you get to it, you're like, oh, now I have to question everything I saw before. And then at the very end, it pulls one of those 80s trick ending uh, where the guy that you think is dead pops up and pulls somebody into a mirror, out of the car, into the bed, what have you. Um, I really I love this movie. It's unique. There isn't anything that's really similar to it that I can think of. Uh, I'm interested to, to hear what you guys think. I, I would say that we we can spoil this because this is a 19... This uh, is this was, came out before I was born, before Kevin was born. I don't know about you, Chris, you old fuck, but... Uh, I was born the same year, but I don't, probably before I was born. Well, I, we're going to kind of have to. Because we have movie, to, right? Each movie begins at the the ending, sort of. Even though the, you know what I mean, like most of the endings, they're kind of like yeah. There's a most of them. There's a formula to it. It is very unique, but it has its own formula. Um, and there's so, no way I, I can mean, discuss five without <laughs> to some to some extent. Anyways, I, would say I, no I get way it. You We're can not discuss trying to four because four felt to me like Phantasm one point five. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's we we okay, folks. So, we're going to spoil it. Sorry. Right, so yeah. so during the course of the end, when they're finally coming to the conclusion where they're, they're finally confronting the tall man, uh, Reggie gets stabbed by him in his uh, chick body and dies. And then Jody and Mike manage to defeat him, and we cut to Mike. I think Mike goes to sleep. And when he, he wakes up, we find out that it's all been a dream. Reggie is still alive. Jody died in a car accident. Uh, and supposedly the, this dream all occurred because of the trauma that Mike is feeling over Jody's death. Reggie says, you know what, let's go take off. We'll go just drive somewhere, just you and me. We'll, we'll have fun. Mike's like, okay. Reggie's like, go upstairs, grab your shit, and pack up, and we'll take off. And Mike runs upstairs to his room, and the tall man appears in the mirror behind him, and the little Jawa monsters pop out and pull Mike into the mirror, and that's how the movie ends. Boy. You forgot to say boy. Oh, yeah. Boy. Yes. Well, I, that's I knew what you were going to do it, because you're, you're, you do a good boy. Do it again? <laughs> boy. Much better than I could do it. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm, I'm glad sure. I got in there. For, I'm glad I got in there first. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I'm actually glad you explained that because I, I didn't actually follow all of that the first time I watched it. Like I kind of put some of it together later on, but yeah, it I got don't know really how many confusing. people pick up fully on that. On, on which yeah. which part? From like the, the point ending, where the Reggie gets stabbed, weird. and then it yeah. kind of all just... And I'm like, wait, what? Why is Reggie there? What? <laughs> Up until I, the mirror, and then I'm like, oh yeah, 1979. <laughs> Fucking Carrie. <laughs> Carrie's also the one that yeah. started that trend. So that was probably out there, but... Yeah. Um, I, I also uh, loved Phantasm. It was the budget was three hundred thousand dollars, and it had a box office of twenty two million. That's like just crazy. in In nineteen seventy nine, fifteen million in the U S. alone. And I looked up the numbers to see as we go on through the budgets, like what three hundred thousand dollar budget meant back then, and which was one point two million dollars. And even for that, that's that's pretty good, like yeah. what they what they did with that movie. Um, so I have just a few notes here. Uh, the best scene I think of the first one, w- without a kill, would be the fortune teller scene. Uh, <laughs> I, I really yeah, like I, that scene. Shout out to the for- fortune teller lady who had that one little part, but she killed it. <laughs> um, I love the uh, the star that her granddaughter has just in the middle of her cheek for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't the the fortune teller have a star like on her on her, like on her forehead, like as a dot or something? Uh, if she did, I missed it. But mm. it was not a well lit scene to to make uh, it easy to see. Yeah, it was, I thought it was great. Um, the best kill would be the caretaker that gets the orb to the head, which is the first time I think we see that in the whole series. Uh, and then he pisses himself and then gets his fingers chopped off with that yellowy stuff you were talking about. Uh, yeah, I just saw a video, yes, the fortune teller has a star in the center of her forehead. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, The uh, best acting, I'm going to give it to A. Michael Baldwin as Mikey. Uh, usually kids are kind of annoying, and I thought he did a really good job uh, – to piggyback off off of that with you, usually when you see like amateur slash like indie films that aren't using established actors, yeah, there are a lot of you usually run into like people who are, uh, maybe they've had like some Shakespeare background or you know community theater and they they overact or or they can't. These guys all felt really natural. You know, none of them felt like okay, this guy's just in it because he's fucking friends with the director or something. Yeah, well, Reggie and Mike both use their their names. Uh, yeah, their real their names. real names, and then uh, it's just Bill Thornsby as Jody has a different the different name to it. So, uh, I wonder if Bill if there was a actually there was a Jody who was going to star in that part, but he had to like work on the weekends when they filmed this thing. But you imagine how much that would suck to like. I could have been in Phantasm, but I had to work on the weekends. I had a couple kids. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, I'm, I'm really impressed with this. Uh, the best line is, uh, this guy's not going to leak all over my ice cream, is he? 
by Jody. <laughs> was, was he talking about Tommy in that scene? Was it Tommy that they found? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, best weapon, I would say the hammer with the shotgun shell, which really was only used to open the door, that is, I remember. Dude, I am just writing that on my notes right now, because that's why I was, was going to bring that up, because what an absurdly intelligent thing for that kid, yeah. right? <laughs> sh- yeah, I guess, or like super dangerous <laughs> to blow your hand off, if that would actually work. <laughs> well, I was wondering, would that work? I, yeah. I don't know. Like Mythbusters, where are you at? I, I don't yeah, I don't, I don't think so because normally what what causes the shit to shoot is the the pressure, you know, ha- having it go down a barrel. To right, yeah, there's nowhere else for the sh- stuff to escape. You know that it's kind of well. I mean, it, it might, but it, it wouldn't be like I like that straightforward force. You know, it'd be it's be the difference between like a grenade which kind of explodes everywhere, or like a claymore, or like C four where. It, funnels the explosion in a single direction, which is why it can blow through walls and shit. Right. Still, I mean, props for the imagine. Uh, it oh, it yeah. was just, you know, like, you don't get to see that. that that's something like you expected from uh, the kid out of fucking Goonies. Yeah. Uh, Data? I can't think of what the... You know Data. what about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it really, it did have that feel. It actually felt like less cheesy than some of the things they did in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. The first one there. Little yeah, the alone stuff. stuff. Yeah, maybe he's maybe he uh, he knew John Kramer as a kid, and that's you know, <laughs> it all yeah. comes back to John. Um, so, uh, which is a better opening or closing? I thought the the closing was better than the opening because the opening was kind of a little bit too much like uh, other movies that it just isn't. You know, the ending is is weird and and confusing. It takes you out of it a little bit, but it, I mean, if you blow up a house in real life or anything, really, like, I'm in. Like, I'm, I, <laughs> you earn points with me just because you, like, you know, if you really blow a car up, <laughs> I'm in. Um, and, uh, I would say the uh, only missed opportunity in this movie is someone actually banging the lavender lady. Uh, Jody got close. With the the panties, but his brother, his brother running around with the, yeah, the was, lurkers, yeah, ruined yeah, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't really that mad that his brother was like watching him have sex, but like interrupting it was like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. There was no problem with him, like oh, little brother observing. Okay, but yeah. uh, how old do you think Mike was in the first one? Like, he was 13? sixteen. Oh, he was yeah. sixteen. He was born in. Was it sixty three? I think so. Trying to do the math. His his character or the actor? Character was a little younger. Yeah, how old do you think? Thirteen or fourteen? Because because I love the the character. The character was thirteen. Which I love how like Jody's just like here's the keys, go drive home. (laughs) Right, a thirteen year old who, and and I guess this is you know since we're kind of talking about right the second like when we do the time jump to Phantasm two, they say it's ten years, but. Everybody looks fifteen to twenty years older because it's been, you know, however many That's years. Right. Like, especially Mike. Mike looks like a fucking thirty-year-old at this point. Don't say it's ten years because he doesn't look twenty-three years old. He looks fucking oh, thirty at that. Thirty, moment. right? And then uh, three. The other thing I liked was uh, there's the one scene where where Reggie's like grabs a beer and he's like, "Here, Mike." <laughs> 
He gave the mic a beer too. <laughs> like yeah, he just gave a fucking thirteen year old. Different times, beer. man. Different times. The late oh, yeah, seventies. Different times. If you can go to war at thirteen years old with the uh, with the Lord of the Dead, you can drink a beer. Oh yeah, I mean for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. How you can argue that one? Uh, you can argue with an ice cream man who I have not seen deliver one ice cream cone in this entire series, but it always has money. But we'll get to that later. Well, I mean, Mike <laughs> exactly. How's he got money cream? the whole time? Yeah, yeah, but we didn't find out that he stole it until them, later on. <laughs> until they dug up unused film footage that they finally like. Oh, we still have this. Great, let's make this film much cheaper. Yeah, but I also like how how Reggie is an ice cream delivery man in the first movie, but he calls himself what's he say? He's an ice cream oh, yeah. distributor. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, that that's really like the the uh, business title. I'm a distri- in distribution. <laughs> so I have a question: Who the fuck is uh, Myrtle? I don't know. Is that the girl? Like she's she was the black lady that just was in the house for like I don't know for two seconds on screen, but we had no. <sighs> There's nothing to her. Like, we don't know who the fuck Myrtle is. We know her name is Myrtle. We know she's a black lady, and that was it. And I don't, I don't know who remember the fuck her. she was. What's he, when it, where in the movie? The end? I kind of I kind of remem- remember the one scene that we see her, but yeah, we, we don't know who she is. Uh, I, I feel like it's probably at the last third of the movie that we find her, and it's just kind of a... Let's see... Jody, Jody's entering the broken window, so Jody's on the way back into the mausoleum, whatever. He gets assaulted by the Jawa. Um, Mike drives the Barracuda, and the hearse chases him. We get the car chase. Jody shoots up the hearse, uh, goes off the side of the road, time to inspect. The Jawa was driving, but it was Tommy. Um, they put Tommy into the ice cream. So, to go back to your point, Kevin... And then Reggie's a little bit cautious. They, they get home, and Reggie kind of lingers behind. And as he lingers behind, all of a sudden Myrtle shows up behind him. And we get that it's her name, and that's it. Like, she's not seen anymore. And I, I just don't understand her presence. I don't think it was his wife. We, we saw Reggie's wife and child, right, at one point in the picture? I don't remember. Uh... You know, I, think I, in part I don't, four, maybe. Well, maybe. in part part two, yeah, he mentions that all of his family has come down to see Mike when they get out. When Mike gets out, and then the house yeah. blows up, and we never see them. And then I think in three, there's a scene where Tim pulls up a photo. And yes, it's, in the car. Yeah, right. Yeah, Reggie's yes. Reggie's wife and daughter. Right. Okay. But, so I mean, in Phantasm One, did you get the a feeling that Reggie was married and a father, and he was just you know everything about him screamed he's a ladies' man, Chris. That, well, I mean, the fact that he's like just I'm gonna go hang out with my boys Mike and Jody like 24 seven, and we're gonna fight you know crazy ass <laughs> Undertaker from another. Well, I mean, world. without that, he was just he was just hanging out on the you porch know, playing guitar. Ball came into play. <laughs> like they just yeah. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre pre Jizzwhale and Doggies, of course, but Yeah. Um so I gotta give props to Mike 
he sneaks in. I think this is possibly the first time he sneaks into the mausoleum. And, like, he's trying to be quiet. He's a little nervous. He hits a box, and a mannequin head falls, and he catches it. It doesn't startle him. It does not bother him in the least. In every other horror movie, that would have made somebody scream, jump, A fake-out jump whatever. scare, he yeah. He catches it, like, whatever. Uh, I was like, all right, that, that, that was pretty cool. And... um. On the other thing I liked, and I don't know why, it's just like this small detail, but I liked when Mike came across the uh, old picture of Jebediah, because it kind of reminded me of, like, you know, in in It, when you see the old pictures of Pennywise. I was, you know, really impressed going back and watching it and seeing how they managed to do that as a special effect in the film back then. Yeah. It looked good. Like, it, it looked better than the, the It version did in the 1990s miniseries. This movie in and of itself, I, I mean, aside from some of the clear shots in part five where they're clearly using updated equipment, this looks visually the best. I, I, all uh, I think movies, two right? looked really good, too, but it... Uh, I, two, yeah. two looked like a studio film, and which three it was. looked good, too. Which it was, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I thought this looked really good, especially with the... like. Oh, it does. Look, it does look really it. good. I... The yeah, film the itself, the 35 really millimeter, really the way it's shot, like, yeah, it, I, I agree with you. And it is equally impressive that they did what they did with those spheres in 1979. I mean, like, Star Wars was out, but this was, like, way less money than, than that. And it looked, you know, arguably better than some of some of the scenes in the first, the, not, not the Star Wars we have now, but, like, theatrically or the the original Star Wars that I grew up with on VHS. Yeah, the Star Wars that I used to know. The Star Wars <laughs> that you used to know. But did you know that JJ a- Abrams was such a fan that he he's the reason why the movie got restored. It got remastered because he he grew up loving Phantasm. So that's why no, it does. I, it I was going to mention it as Bad ro- Robot right? in the first know, one. It came up robot, and it had right? like a weird production thing. And I have a question mark because Bad robot, robot question. You just answered it, but I was I was curious about that. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've never seen that version of the Bad Robot logo before either, or ever yeah. re- reproduced either. You know, no, it was that's a very awesome. specific Bad Robot version. Yeah. I, I, and part of me wishes they would redo the other ones, but I can understand why there's really no need to go back and restore the other ones. In all honesty, like, this looks great, and you know, the other ones, like, you know, part two looks the way it does, and then the other ones look the way that you expect it, that deep into a series. I mean, yeah. I would say that up until the last one, none of, none of them really looked no like what their budget was. They they all they all looked they all did a fucking great job I, stretching that stru- shoestring out to a and I would even include that with the fifth a, one too a, because a visually appealing movie it also is rumored to only have a three hundred thousand dollar budget yeah 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 and if that's the case then that explains a lot well a lot of it was okay. prior like short films well I'm, we'll get to it but yeah um so. I, I've always called the the spheres. I, I guess they're called sentinels, but I always called them Quasinarts 
but they're only called uh, Cuisinart yeah. once. Yeah. I just like it because we'll know, get to that too. Um, so my letter grade. I, I, this is my final part. I just came up with these these little things. My letter grade for Phantasm is an A. So yeah, I it's it's a weird movie. It's I could see people definitely if you need to have a solid story structure and everything explained to you and understand you know, yeah. cause and effect, I can see this really bothering you as a movie. But if you can get into just like a, a dreamlike fugue-like state, I think this works as like just a success on all levels. I mean, not to mention that if you want to get really deep into it, it can be taken as a metaphor for, for loss and grieving and all sorts of that the trauma that kids go through when they lose their family. You know, so. This this has it for the fucking film snobs and the horror fans that just want junky horror shit. Like it, it covers all bases, quite frankly. Aside for people that just can't handle like a quote unquote incomplete story or e- e- structure, or whatever. Like this brings and the a noise little bit and, more solid than I would say frankly, the first Nightmare on Elm Street uh, that kind of had a similar kind of weirdness to its ending that was very like open and didn't kind of connect. I'm glad you brought that up, Kevin, because Phantasm, the end scene, looked way better in fucking 79 than yeah. Nightmares did with Mom getting pulled through the damn window. Yeah, I would agree. Just saying. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Get your shit together, Wes Craven. He did. Uh, he did pretty good. Just, yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking, like, this, this movie... I mean, this wasn't the original, like, Fever Dream. I mean, I can go back to Twilight Zone. There's a few episodes like that, so I'm sure even before Twilight Zone, there are stories. But I think as far as a film goes, I don't know of a film that did this type of a story dealing with death as just a big dream, only to kind of split it into weird reality at the very end. Like... But I think this movie kind of inspired quite a quite a bit. Like, I don't know. I'll throw a weird movie like Braid. I don't think Braid exists without this movie because that's just a wacky ass fever with. dream the whole way through. I uh, maybe yeah. I'm not familiar with it either. Kevin, you would really like it. Chris, you'd probably hate me for asking <laughs> to watch it. So you should watch it, Chris. <laughs> Is it the one with um, 2018? Yeah, yeah, I think I have it in my voodoo, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I probably will watch it then, so... It, it's it's a fun watch. Like, it just takes you on a really weird trip and just know that, you know, much like Phantasm, what you see isn't oh, and it's on Peacock. what it is. I gotcha, guess. gotcha. But yeah, no, I would, I would, I would agree with that. Oh, like, I, was, it's very... I was going to say, like, you know, Shutter Island uh, and Identity. I don't know, do they exist? Maybe not Identity, I but I think feel like... There was, like, psychological dream sequences. I mean, Wizard of Oz. I think it exists without it. But I do... Know, I, but in horror? In yeah. horror, maybe not. In Braid, maybe not. It depends I mean, on, I, I, would say where, this, I guess, yeah. where the source is coming from. This It feels a very, very strongly like a horror-influenced movie. Like, I see elements of Sam Raimi. I see... El- well... That like Saint Remy would pull. I see elements that Wes Craven would pull from. Uh, yeah, I see. 
elements that actors would pull from, you know, and not necessarily doing a direct imitation. But, I mean, I think you can look at, like, some of the shit that, like, Tony Todd has done over the years and be like, I could see him having, you know, seen the Angus scream as the tall man back in the day and being like, oh, you know, I like the way that his walk or his menacing ability, you know, to make a look without actually saying any kind of uh, lines, you know, in, in the specific scene. Exactly. Yeah. Tony Todd was totally influenced by Angus Scrim, I, I would say. I'll, I'll even go so far as to say I'm willing to bet Undertaker, the wrestler, was inspired by Angus Scrim in some ways. Because Taker was rumored to be in Part 5 for a long time, which would have been a neat that would have been nod. Cool. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think Angus was like very inspirational to how See, to do certain things I right. I think the biggest problem with Phantasm... And I don't say this as a problem, like as a, a problem, but you know, I don't know anybody who's seen this movie who didn't like it. Like even my friends at work who I was talking with this about when I was talking about doing this podcast coming up this week, all the ones who have seen it fucking loved it. The problem is finding people who've seen it at this point. You know, it's nowhere right. near, you know, anywhere uh, a mainstream of name as you know, in Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Poltergeist, you know, any any of those larger, more successful series. I mean, and like Kevin said, this was a fucking big success financially for, for what it was made for. But, uh, and I, I think like we, we've probably brought up just over the last 30 minutes, you know, how much, you know, horror owes to it. But uh, like looking at the, the couple of the, the best lists that we've done for the, our, our top list episodes... Like, how many times did you see Phantasm on any of them? I was kicking myself for not including it when we did the soundtrack one like three years ago because I, I'm Dude, really like. Uh, I, f- yeah, I forgot how good the soundtrack was. It's right up there well, with John Carpenter. Yeah, well, it yeah. was inspired by Goblin's music in Suspiria, which goes down as one of the all time greats, and you could clearly hear the inspiration for it. Yeah, I can. It, okay, it, I can see that now. Yeah. It, it really is underrated, and you're right, though. Like, all of our lists, we don't rarely ever talk about it. When I was, after the last podcast, I was talking to Kevin. We were talking about horror franchises, looking things up. Fucking Phantasm didn't come up, like, on top 20 lists. Yeah, so, it's I just, mean, it's it's, it's, it's it's great. It just, it's not anywhere near as mainstream. And I hope enough people listen to this goddamn podcast to fucking bring it back into a little bit of relevance. Or at least Absolutely. even, like, 10 people watch it because of us. I'll feel vindicated. It's kind of forgettable because, as we'll get to, the time in between all of the films. Yes, I would agree. Like, the gaps are. Yeah, I, I mean, that adds I mean, to just it. Just like por- porn size gaps. Really big. I, you know, part of it, too, was I remember when I was, I was growing up, I didn't, I didn't watch any of them until after I saw that first one. So I was. Somewhere between like 14 and 16 when I watched the first one. So probably like 94, 95, somewhere time frame. But I remember like when, when two and three came out, you know, like if you had HBO, you would see, you know, Phantasm two, two, you know, uh, Phantasm three, Lord of the Dead. You know, so I, I do remember seeing advertisements in form, but yeah, like the it, Phantasm four kind of, I don't remember that coming out. And uh, it wasn't until, like, one of the few times that we think we talked about it on this channel that I even knew that there was a fifth one. Can't, 
Yeah, I don't remember when exactly it was, but... I remember the fifth one was presumed, was talked about way back in the day when IMDB had um, user forms where you could, there was forms on every single page until people just got so ridiculously abusive that they just took the feature away. But like, that's how I learned that Phantasm Five was ever going to be a thing. That's how I learned about all the cube information that I learned. Like, I miss those forums. They were really good. And now we're just stuck with fucking Reddit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like Reddit, too. But, but yeah, no, I do remember being on I do, remember, too, I do remember if I could show every that. motherfucker that said this is the way, I would. Uh, well, I mean, just... everybody in The Mandalorian. <laughs> this is the way. <laughs> All right. Do you guys have anything else you want to say about the first one? No, because we'll get back yeah, to we always We always talk about the first a lot. Yeah, All we'll right. get... So, and this one, so first one series kind of always kind of like ties yeah. it together through all of them. For sure. All right, so Phantasm 1 came out in 1979. Phantasm 2 comes out in 1988. Um, for the most part, like outside of the, the remaster that they did of the original footage for the first one, this is probably the best looking one, I think. And, and like we said when we were just discussing it, um, it was the only one that was, was, had a studio behind them, and they threw way more money at the uh, the movie uh, than Don Coscarelli had for making the first one. I, th- I want to say I think I saw the number at uh, $3 million. So let me help you out here. This is the funny thing. So it was the highest budgeted film in the s- series, in the franchise, at $3 million, and simultaneously the lowest budgeted film that Universal produced in the 80s. So highs and lows. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, um, yeah, the budget was $3 million, but uh, I did the math on that. With, so it's $7.75 million uh, in today's money. But as you can see, but even then, I think $3 million went a lot further, or $7 million went a lot further, you know, than it would today. So, this one we we get a weird decision, but you know, reading about it, I find out it was because of the studio. So they were told that in order to make it, they had to recast the leads, and Don Coscarelli was able to to lobby to be able to keep one of them. So he he kept Reggie Bannister as Reggie, but he had to recast um, Mike from. Uh, a Michael Baldwin to a guy named Jane LaGrosse. Uh, which is another reason like why Kent said he looked so much older, even though it's a, a nine-year time jump in real life from when the, the movies were made. Um, I forgot a lot of this movie until I was rewatching it, but oh my god. Like, as soon as I, I started seeing this, I'm like, this this had to have been the fucking basis for the, the TV show Supernatural. Like, McGee had to have watched this and been like, we need to fucking throw that scene into a fucking TV show somehow. Um, so the premise, it, it starts with the very end of the first one, with Mike getting uh, pulled through the window by the Jawas, and the tall man's up in his room. Reggie hears it from downstairs, runs upstairs to rescue Mike. 
manages to do it. Uh, they blow up the house. And then we cut to Liz, who is a psychic woman who's also been doing a little bit of exposition uh, to this point, uh, talking about how she has a connection with Mike, and Mike needs to find her and save her because the tall man's coming for her. And then we jump to the new Mike, James LaGrosse, uh, who has been institutionalized and is now getting out of the hospital. Uh, so Reggie picks him up from the hospital, goes to bring him home. Uh, Mike and him argue over whether or not the tall man exists, which really then makes me question, like, did the beginning actually happen or, or what? Uh, until they get near Reggie's house and Reggie's whole family who came to see Mike released from the hospital is murdered when it blows up. So Mike and Reggie go on the road to go save Liz because Mike has some sort of, sort of psychic connection to her. Uh, they break into a hardware store and one of the coolest montages in an 80s horror movie, they build like a shit ton of homemade fucking weapons, which are badass. The quad shotgun which becomes like a staple of the series, was awesome. The homemade flamethrower. They grabbed chainsaws. You know, like, definitely uh, the Evil Dead was was referenced in this. And you can tell even further because there's a cameo in this later, well, a little Easter egg where they see a uh, person's name on their uh, uh, cadaver slab, and it's Sam Raimi. Um Yo, just to yeah. add to that quickly, Good. like, even, like, early on when Reggie's fighting, I think it's upstairs against the Jawas, at one point he's, like, swinging it around, it's so comical, it, it really is like Evil Dead 2, quite frankly. Yeah. Like, it, like, the Jawas' hand is, it's clearly a doll, like, the hand's not moving, nothing's moving as a doll, and he's wrestling with it, and I was just like, oh, Evil Dead 2, alright, cool. And then, you know, as you say, like, all the weapons, there's a lot of Evil Dead. One of the things that I really enjoy about this, too, is the fact that, like, anytime they go to get into a fight, they get their ass kicked. Like, literally, every single time they go to get into a fight, they get their ass beat in this movie. Like, I can't tell you how many times, like, Reggie got jumped before he actually got to shoot his shotgun. Maybe three? Three or four times? Um, Funny. Does he so, use a shotgun it, in this? Because yeah. I don't remember him using the shotgun <laughs> in this movie. The, the first time he uses it is when he he ha- after he has the chainsaw fight with the 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 guy in the basement, and then the the Jawas are on the stairs, and he shoots it once, and he, you just see the Jawas drop one by one from the into frame. Was that was that this one or was that the third one? The- he uses it in all of them after yeah. this, oh, so okay. he, he does use yeah, it in yeah, this yeah. one. It, there, there's something about this that the Phantasm franchise, I, I specifically noted in this one that I kind of noticed in the rest of them, if they pick up something as a weapon and then they store it for later, they always come back for it and they use it. Because I was, I was sitting there like, why the fuck does he have a drill? Because they have the one scene where he drills through the door, and I'm like, well, that was just really convenient. But later on, he used the drill on uh, whoever's armpit in a fight. And I was like, yeah. cool. I wanted to see him uh, with a so, shotgun in so both they, those scenes. Can... <laughs> I was like, just shotgun, use it. 
so they're they're driving around, and we start getting like how outlandish this series is because they're going from town to town, and as they get to these little towns, you know, population eight hundred, population seven fifty three, population sixteen hundred. Everybody in the town has been murdered by the tall man and his Jawas, and they're just like apocalyptic desolations. Uh, like, what the hell is going on? Um, Which I have a question. Go ahead. All right. And this is a question that bothers me the whole rest of the series. How is it that there's like random towns that have just been like obliterated, right? But then there's still like this hospital that is fully staffed that Mike is at. So, like, if we're thinking about this really, like, it's like Mayfield's just been taken over, but like Gloversville and Northville just exist as if nothing abnormal has happened, but like every like third town over, it's annihilated. Isn't that weird that there's just like a fully staffed, fully functional hospital, and like as we go on later, there's like these places that are kind of populated and staffed. In the middle of all of this shit. It's it's weird, right? Well, not only that, but, like, if everybody in the town is dying fast enough that, like, 800 people are just disappearing, who's putting up all of the fucking, like, barricades and the cardboard and the, the plywood over, like, all of the shit on Main Street that we see in every single one of the towns that they go through? Yeah. It, it's one of those things that, once I thought about it, it irked me, and then I'm like, I gotta get over it or else I can't enjoy the rest of this franchise. I noted it in every one of the blogs. I, I really did. I hate yeah. you. But it, it continues through the, the the later movies too. But yeah, I uh, that's a good that's a good point. You just got to give yourself to the movie yes. for where I mean, it's at. I, I think it's because you know uh, each one of these is growing that we're, we're noticing this. You know, if if they had been able to keep like the same fever dream mentality as the first one, I don't think it would have been necessarily recognizable because it would have just you know been part of the uh uh mystique of the movie but since each one as they went kind of had to go further into the mythology and uh ended up expanding the scope i i think we lost a little bit of that in the translation oh yeah and also this one because the studio put up so much money they wouldn't let him use Dream sequences or ambiguity, along with casting a, a working actor. Right, as Mike. but that's bullshit because there's so, a dream sequence in the movie. I saw the exact same note, and I'm like, there is. there's a dream sequence, so what the fuck is this note? Yeah, but it was like a different kind of like where I think maybe you can't just like alter the entire film with like it being a dream because that's not what happened okay, in this yeah, movie. I got you. you know, I, I think that's what I meant. Like, you can't just like hinder your entire film on that and then you know but you know it's whatever but you know that does is what chris was saying that takes that does take a little bit out of what you know the director's vision and also why you know why why i probably don't question it so much is because of the first one is that way you kind of like you know and i feel the same way about nightmare on elm street for that matter yeah um so, all right, after after we get like, traveling through that a little bit, they run into a hitchhiker named Alchemy, or Kemi for short, who they pick up. They bring her to the next town on their list, which happens to be where 
Liz has been, who has been getting terrorized by the tall man because her grandfather died, uh, and then was brought back to life as, like, a zombie grandfather, who then kidnaps her grandmother, which causes Liz to go to the mausoleum to save them. Uh, so all of this begins to converge. They, they save Liz. Um, you know, uh, we get adventures in a new mausoleum, which is a brown tinted one instead of the white marble one from the first one. Um, we get some pretty cool action sequences. Like the one that I remember from my childhood, you know, especially seeing it on like one of the TV commercials from TV was the scene where, uh, Mike and Liz are running down the hallway and they're slamming the door and the ball is just shooting through, you know, door after door that they slam. Uh, we get golden balls now instead of just the silver ones, uh, which can shoot lasers. Uh, there are now full-sized humans who also work for the tall man, a couple of twin weird-looking dudes, and then the, what do they call the people who um, put on the gas masks and steal the bodies from the cemeteries for them? Are they the lurkers? I th- yeah, I think I think those are the, they call them the lurkers, uh, which I don't think we actually get it. The re- go, go ahead. Yeah, they're like yeah. gas masks reanimated. I don't know. Like, yeah, I think I call them. The I don't think we get the reanimated gas yeah. mask dudes. Yeah, they, they are sometimes referred. They refer to as everything's kind of got like a few different names. Like, there's a mortuary, a mausoleum, a fucking funeral home, and I'm like, I don't know what the difference is because you keep calling the same place three different things. Well, the mausoleum is where they have all the the bodies are stored, right? The marble. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, where all the, the caskets and the cemetery is the, where where they, you know, where Tommy got buried. I'm just saying they use the same they use different terms for for these places because oh, it just okay. comes yeah. together in the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a part of the the formula. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I just uh well, I'll get into that in a second. Um so eventually we we get another face off with the tall man. Um, they they manage to escape, and we've got Liz and Mike in the back of a hearse. Uh, Alchemy is driving Reggie in the front, and uh, they're driving down the road. And as we begin to discover in this movie, not only is Reggie a uh, wannabe player, but he's actually probably just short of being a date rapist. <laughs> and um, he starts to get ready to... I, no, I wrote the same get, thing, dude. <laughs> get ready to make out with alchemy, and part of her hair comes off in his hand, and she then morphs into a, another version of the tall man, so not just the lilac-dressed lady. Um, we hear Reggie get the shit beat out of him. He stumbles out of the back. They can see him through the window of the hearse. And uh, then I believe Liz gets pulled through a window. I don't remember quite at the end, but uh, it, it's got another one of those shock endings right at the end where uh, shit looks like it's going to be bad for our guys. Um, I love the first one as, as like we said, just like a like really a foundational horror movie, but this one might be like the guilty pleasure one of the series for me. Like the montage scenes of them building the weapons, the uh, I don't know it. It's it's really like over the fucking top there. 
It's pure 80s nostalgia fucking energy fuel right there. Did, like, a lot of these scenes just work because we lived through the fucking 80s, I think. Yes. It was the Lost Boys meets Commando. Like, the... <laughs> where the, the, the gun store scene. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was, it, was, it was great. It's like the scene in Rambo uh, First Blood Part 2 where he, like... They like right before they put him on the plane, and he gets his guns, and then he gets the knife, and he puts it in his thing, and then he gets caught on the plane and ends up in Vietnam or whatever. Um, but yeah, the beginning that like these are the weapons. Here we go. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I loved it. it, it less they needed more double double barreled shotgun though. Yeah, for sure. That thing was so awesome, and they shot it so few times compared to how often they should have been. And, like, when, when they're in the hearse, which, like, recreates, what, the scene from the first movie where they're, like, in the car, and then there's the hearse there, and then he loads up the shotgun with all four shells and doesn't and doesn't even shoot it because then the hearse, like, or the car they're driving flips over. It was, it was like, ah, again! <laughs> so... So what I have to ask you guys about is what was fucking up with that sex scene between Reggie and Alchemy. All right, that's one of my ten notes. I was like, is is she murdering him? Is he what? <laughs> what the? Well, yeah. Here's what, a couple things. A, I had to rewind it twice, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, my neighbors are just thinking I'm a fucking pervert at this point, but whatever. Um. Anyway, did you guys notice the bruise under her right tit for I, no reason? I did not know. Was this in the car at the end? Okay, or was this in the hotel room? No, this was this was in, this in was bed. yeah when uh, the one night that they're in the, like her uh, her yeah. uncle's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. It, the other thing though was all right. So she's supposedly riding him, and we see her from behind. The panties are not off center at all. Now, I'm not trying to be a pervert here, but I think we all fucking understand a little bit of thing. Like, the panties would be off to the side if that's a real thing. And it just came off a little fake, you know, for, oh, for these not, sex enthusiasts. Not only show. that, but he's fully dressed. Yes. Yeah, like, so, yeah, there's a lot of things that, like, I don't know if they were uncomfortable. Like, I think at that point, if you're okay with just only being in your panties, you're probably pretty comfortable with, with what's happening, I'm guessing. I, the character I, or the actress? Because maybe they didn't push it. The they might have not actress. pushed it with the actress because, you know, and also, I don't know exactly about that time, but that stuff is all, like, pre-negotiated. So unless you're, like, a total perv like like my man uh, Paul Verhoeven, you know, like, you he would have probably, like, gotten that in the contract. Ronnie, you would like to enter the conversation. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> uh, also, I got to note that, you know, you could tell that this was late 80s because we saw her bush early on. And had this been original Phantasm, we would have had the burning level of bush. But instead, we get late 80s bush. That's how you can tell a lot by horror movies, by bush. You can tell what year it I'm, came out. I'm so glad that you brought this up for us. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm here for. This this is this is why I take all these notes. 
Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. Think, <laughs> I thought he, Reggie was. I, I I didn't feel like this, these movies were actually that dated. I didn't feel like Reggie was a date rapist, but he was kind of a schmooze, and it. No, no it got worse as it went on. This one wasn't it was as bad. And even was. though the other ones, we get to it. It's it's um. There's a certain level of sleaze to it, but it's it's not full on. Um, it never. It, it definitely does lead to one of my favorite comedy scenes. Yes, in, in yeah, 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 it's probably my favorite. Speaking of yeah. speaking of scenes, my uh, are we done talking about the the sex scene? I don't want to cut us short. Oh yeah, yeah. The the only one one thing I want to bring up before you get into your list too is I don't think the guy they got to do Mike did a bad job. I think he was James Lagros okay. is a great like, character actor. Uh, I, I, yeah, he's I've, he's, I've actually seen him in other stuff, so I didn't realize that it was him in part two. And I'm like, holy shit, he was so young in that compared to like what I've seen him as. Um, but uh, yeah, like, I definitely felt it in part three when they brought Mike back. That like, I was like, this guy really doesn't feel like he took many acting lessons in the ensuing years. He, like, he got better in part four and part five, but, but I was like, it was. Because, like Kent said, he was a pretty decent fucking kid actor yeah. in part one. He's got my best acting. James Segros did did decent in this, and then, but then to go into part three, and I felt like like the kid they had playing Tim did better than a uh, a Michael ba- Baldwin. His name in, in part, Baldwin. Baldwin. Thank you. So I don't know. That was not be Michael hey. Baldwin. Hey. Yeah, that was the the one thing I wanted to bring up at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so. All right, so the best scene, I think, in the movie was, without a kill, without a kill scene, is the embalming scene in the funeral home. Um, the other good one, which does eventually lead to a kill scene, uh, would be the priest getting uh, choked out by the like the rosary beads with the cross, but then the cross is upside down while he's getting choked in the air. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the next scene, the sphere, like, drains all the blood out of his skull. Um, yeah. But the best kill scene is definitely the caretaker getting the sphere in the back, and then it goes up through his throat, and then it like does the face the the face reveal with uh, Liz and James LaGrosse, and they flip the body over, and it's like the the sphere like inside the the care the the caretaker's face or the embalming guy or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the one of the two like twenty looking. Yeah, 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 that was that was a cool scene, especially you know like now you would have to like show it coming out because of saw and like pushing it to the next level, but that was still like by today's standards done really well. I agree. I agree. Who gets your best um, acting in this? James Lagrosse as Mike because he beat out Brad Pitt for the role. Well, they're oh yeah, they're yeah, yeah. Kevin. And James Lagrosse, <laughs> I love, and um, he's a drugstore cowboy is a great one uh, for him. And Point Break. I uh, the last thing I saw him in, and he was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they got all the great character actors on those too. Um, but yeah, he's in all sorts of shit. Yeah. He's in like Kelly Reichardt movies, and he he does he shows up in some good stuff. Um, and if he's ever on a TV show like Justified, it's just it, – it, he's great, but he doesn't, like, steal the show. He's not, like 
you know, like I would say Jeremy Davies. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, that yeah, exactly. Incredible. But anyways, <laughs> best line. Oh, I, I was just thinking about him yeah, the other day. I interrupt you one time. It's like I was like, has there ever been a Jeremy Davies movie where like you like him <laughs> as a person, or, or or like his character, or is he always just either like a total villain or unsympathetic? Or he's the one who causes the buddy to get killed in Saving Private oh, Ryan. Yeah, well, that's probably is the most sympathetic role of his is in Saving Private Ryan, um, because I feel for that yeah. fear, like that fear. That scene's just—I mean, you don't want it to go the way it does, but it, it there—I don't know. There's something that feels really like terrifying in that in that moment. It, it's it's an uncomfortable scene, and then when he kills the guy afterwards, that's just another uncomfortable scene, too, because you know he's not doing it, you know, out of a sense of justice or vengeance. It's it's like, this is so my cowardice doesn't yeah. get exposed. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's great, yeah. I mean, have you guys seen Dogville, the Lars von Trier movie? Alright, so he's, uh, he's no. pretty likable in, in, in that until he isn't, because, like, um... It's uh, it stars Nicole Kidman, and the whole film is shot on a soundstage. So, and it's shot like a play, but you can't see any of the walls and just the character. I don't know. It's a really strange kind of movie. Jeremy Davies is in it, but then like the whole, you know, Nicole Kidman is like this runaway, and she comes into this town, and at first this town is very nice and sweet, and then they all kind of like turn on her, and um, no, are you talking about Get Out? Dogville, man, it's three hours all done on a soundstage. It is fucking wild. <laughs> you would know it if you've seen it. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Jeremy Davies, that's a great question. Um, I, I just think of, there's got to be something, but I think that's why I like him because he's so unlikable in most of the stuff I've seen him in. Yeah, he does a really good job of playing like the asshole. Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt oh, you. You know what? The one, one that they, uh, yeah, my fair line. Favorite line here, Kevin. Secretary Wait, Jeremy Davies. Breath. He's not totally unlikable in that movie. Maggie Gyllenhaal. She's he's the he's her boyfriend, fiance, or whatever. All right, best line: Phantasm Two. Okay. Well, the priest saved my life, and just a few minutes later, I saw him get sliced and diced by some flying Cusinart. Did I say it right? Cusinart? How do you say it, Kent? Cuisinart. Cuisinart? Yes. <laughs> and that was Paula Irving as Liz. Uh, uh, best weapon? The flamethrower. There was not enough double, double barrel shotgun, um, which is my missed opportunity. He he was channeling his inner child. Flamethrower, yeah. With flamethrower. With his house getting burnt down. So opening or closing uh, of the movie, I I definitely the closing. Uh, that ending. My dad really liked the Phantasm movies, so I kind of watched them in parts. I don't think I saw the whole thing until maybe later in the 90s, but I do um, 
I remember seeing that ending and just I've never saw anything like it. And I didn't have the context of much of the beginning of the movie either. Um, but you, you know, you get to the ending and it, you know, you're like, you save the day. And I never really saw anything, you know, at that time where it had an ending where, you know, they're at the hearse. And I don't, I don't know if Liz gets pulled out because I feel like she's in the hearse at the end too. And that's like the kind of almost like the, I don't know, but that always stuck with me where, where it ends like that. Yeah, I kind of couldn't remember. Yeah, I, but I, I feel like some did. someone got pulled through, so maybe she did, or I don't know. But my letter grade for this is an A. Also, for what it is, because it's it's a sequel that came nine years later with a budget that took away some of the the freedoms that the director had for the original. Um, so. You know, when I say that this movie is an A, is it like an A compared to The Shining? The Shining is an A because of what it is and and what it's done with its source material. But this one is an A for, you know, what it did with its source material and just made a great 80s film. Like, great 80s, like a great, it's better than most of the second ones, even with its problems. And datedness, it's still, you know, uh, you know, a better installment to the core material than, uh, you know, Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, like maybe Halloween 2 is, is better because, but, you know, like, uh, as we went through the terrible twos, there's a lot of really, really bad twos. And this, this is not one of them. Yeah, I'd agree. For sure. Also, it's fun because Kevin has a very much has a very nice scale of ranking movies where he'll put have a world where this is an A and The Shining is an A, and then my mean mongoloid ass comes along and goes, "Fuck you, Kevin." The Shining's a nine point two. This is only in the sevens. Well, yeah, the, they are they are different, but for what they are, you know, with the budgets, with who, what they were working with. Um, you know, it's it's uh, not an uh, a like in in the land of of other films. Just to well, just specifically of what this film is, in you know, for what they're working with, for what the film is. Quick, quick comparison, Kent. Where would you Go put on. this compared to Nightmare on Elm Street Two? Above it. Halloween Two, the original. Below it. Uh. Friday the 13th, part two? Uh, above it. Uh, Hellraiser 2? Um, yeah, that's really close. Me, that one's really, really close. close. Yeah, so, yeah, but, yeah. Depends on what I mean. Like, out of all of those, you know, that's that's what, four out of five? That this... For, yeah. for like, a main franchise horror, there's not many part twos that are better than this. Like, yeah. It, I probably can go and count it like on one hand. Like I would say, probably something like fi- Final Destination Two. But I'm a huge fan of that, and for that series, that franchise, that's a fucking great movie. But this is a great movie in this franchise. So, it, whereas you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth Two wasn't too bad, but it wasn't too great. Hellraiser, same. Hellraiser's really probably the closest comparison. Child's but Play this is more this. fun. Yeah. I don't know if that's a, but this is a lot more fun than than Hellraiser Two is. 
or in the way that oh, Hellraiser yeah. 2 oh, is, yeah, for sure. is fun. It's it's a little um but look at Child's Play 2. What would you say, Kent? I like this game. Uh, I, I'd put Child's Play 2 under this. I'd put Leprechaun 2 under this. I would put Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, the first one below this. I'd put the second version of Child, of Texas Chainsaw below this. I'd Halloween 2? Zombies Halloween below really? this. Uh, uh, part 2. I'd have to re- Yeah. I'd- yeah, I like this better than I, I liked Rob Zombie's Halloween. What about too, Saw Two? I, I liked this better, actually. Yeah, Saw Two's better, right? No. Yeah, yeah. I, Saw Saw yeah, Two yeah. Is, is just too close to the heart for me. I really liked that movie when yeah. Chris and I. Did, no, I just want Chris had it much. No, more I just wanted. Sorry, that's I mean, that's perfect want, then because yeah, you're like, yeah, no, it's not that good to me. It's yeah. you know above Charles Play Two. I think that's pretty good. Sure. Child's Play Two in of, in the franchise, it's probably the f- third or fourth best one. No, definitely fourth. I really like the latter two Child's Play. If we're not counting the new one with Mark Hamill, which I don't, it, it's fine for what it is. But uh-huh. it is what it is. People can't get beyond that. But uh, if we just go with the original seven, then, oh nice, yeah, probably. Yeah, I would say best. you know, is it the third one the worst one? Or is that better? Yeah. Of Child's Play? Uh, Child's Play 3 and Son of Chucky, depending on your sense of humor, some people really found Son oh. of Chucky to be funny. You like I 3 more than Son of Chucky? Um, is that what you're saying? But I, yeah, yeah, because they attend Kent Military School or something like that. So <laughs> if my name's in something, yeah, I'm going to give it an extra point. I'm an egomaniac. I like it. So, yeah, naturally. Yeah. So. No, I think we're good. Is, was uh, that it with you, you Kevin? You got anything I, to I add to the, okay. the Phantasm 2? The ball is back. Yeah, I, I have I have some small notes and some bigger notes. Uh, first, I like the retelling. Of, so, they definitely borrowed from... Friday the 13th, I think, does it best when they retell the events from the previous film or previous films. At the very beginning of the movie, that's something Phantasm copied from Friday the 13th to very great effect. I really like that, and you know, as we keep going on, we keep seeing that in the franchise. Um, I like the fact that Greg Nicotero and Robert Kurtzman, uh, who are just well-known in the horror industry, both worked on this. Um... There's a funny story about the safety guy when they were going to explode. I think it was Reggie's house. He was kind of like telling them to chill out with with all the explosives because they were close to an airport. But they's like, "What film are you guys making this for?" They told him Phantasm Two. He's like, "Oh hell yeah, fucking make this really big!" Like he was all into it apparently as a as a Phantasm fan, which probably was kind of strange for them at the time. I'm guessing. Um. We have to not overlook Reggie's hat. He wore a trucker's hat that said Boogie Down. Yeah. That was fantastic, and I looked online for one. I could not find one. But, yes, I did look for it. Um, After they get all geared up at the hardware store, like, if you look at them, what I like is the realism. Because think about it. If us three schmucks just 
we're in this thing. We'd try to look badass. We'd get all the stuff, and then we'd come out thinking we we look badass, but we'd just look like three fucking nerds cosplaying as three badasses. And that's what they did, and I appreciate how they did that. Like, they didn't, you know, they weren't fucking Rambo. They were just everyday guys that got the coolest shit that they could think of, and it, it worked. So I liked that. Um, initially... I thought Liz looked a lot like Kristen from Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and then later on I realized how wrong I was, so wanted to throw that out there. Um, I bring up Nightmare 3, and we brought up Evil Dead 2. Both came out in 87. This came out in 88. There's a lot of stuff borrowed from those two movies. Even if we discount my fake Kristen appearance thing, we have to note that there was a monster that grew out of somebody's back that looked oh, yeah, very that was much a good like scene with Freddy Krueger when he was in Oh yeah, form. Oh yeah, for sure. And, yeah. Yes. So, I mean, they definitely borrowed, you know, from, from their horror brethren and I was completely, you know, cool with that. Um, I had, um, I had two favorite scenes and I don't know which one I liked more. Um, one way where, uh, Reggie and Mike, they find uh, Liz? Liv. Um, no, Liz. Whatever. They find her, and she, ha- she has her mouth taped up. Now, what's great about this is that Mike doesn't immediately go to remove the tape to like find out like what happened to her, what's going on. He turns and talks to Reggie for a few seconds. He assumes that Reggie did it. <laughs> doesn't bother like trying to save the damsel in distress. No, let's have a conversation. It's it's so funny. Like he just kind of ignores her for like I, I don't know a, a significant amount of time. Enough. I was like, what a true gentleman right there. But I think this gets one upped because when they later go to the place where, where they booby trap it, um, in order to get in, it's barricaded, and the girl's like, oh, I don't know how we get in there, and <laughs> Reggie's like, allow me, and. Mike has to forcefully grab her and push, pull her away before Reggie just rams the chainsaw through. And it's like, Reggie didn't give no fucks if she was there. He was going chainsaw no matter who was there. And I really appreciated his, his uh, gusto for, for the chainsaw right there. I, I really approved of that. Um, also, I'm starting to notice that the yellow stuff, I just keep calling it honey mustard in my blogs because it looks so much like honey mustard. Um, and it's weird. We don't really, there's only one time and it's much, much later on in the franchise that we see a mixture of the yellow and the red and they are truly bleeding Hulkamania, but that's not until part five. Um, so I don't know. I, does it look like, what does it look like to you? Does it look like honey mustard? Does it look like some kind of custard? How would you describe this? I, I think it, it was supposed to be kind of like chlorine, and they couldn't figure out a way to to kind of like show it without like making it kind of a yeah. Well, it, it's like supposed so, to be like they, yeah, I mean, honey mustard embalmed, works for it. right? So that would be like okay. their idea of like embalmed blood, you know? Because um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, liquid formaldehyde mixed with uh, yeah, formaldehyde. insides of a dead body. Yeah, that's that's how I always. Uh, but now that you say honey mustard, this this movie 
Yeah, I mean, some chicken nuggets. Yeah, dude, some chicken nuggets. Um, it sounds tasty, right? Like you want to have some chicken tenders now. Yeah. And not to piggyback off of Kevin too much, but I also had a favorite line, and it was right at the very end when, like, Mike's like, we're all going to wake up. It's just a dream. And then, like, the divider awesome. comes down, and Tall Man's just like, no, it's not. I just, I, I loved him just, like, putting him right in his fucking place. Uh, I did have one issue with the movie, and I'm curious how you guys feel. There was probably, like, three spots in the movie where the pacing was just a little... They could have shaped off, like, 30 to 60 seconds in a couple places. Like, they lulled me at a few points. Did did you guys have any pacing issues? But I could see that. Uh, yeah, I, I, did, didn't, I, could I didn't really like, run into any in this in a couple spots, but part three. Yeah, just a couple. Like, uh, it's not like a major complaint. It was just there was parts where I was watching this at like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. yesterday. So, in all fairness, I was tired. Um, so when you're tired, if any tiny lull feels like an eternity, you know what I mean? So maybe maybe my tiredness had more to do with it. I mean, it's nothing like, you know, part four, for example. So that's what I have. All right, I guess uh, in, on that note, we'll wrap up uh, episode 47 here, and we'll be back in a minute or several weeks or months, depending upon how Kent's website goes, with uh, part 48. So see you in a second.